Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, Michael's here. Yeah, Michael's back. (laughs) Oh, 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 you know, it's my favorite hour, right? Absolutely it is. And I'm so excited to have Michael Battle all the way from Los Angeles join us to talk about, did he get into an earthquake today or not? (laughs) I don't think he did. (laughs) Welcome back, son. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you so much. And yeah, apparently there was, I think it was like a 3.2 earthquake here. 3.6. 3.6 didn't feel a thing. Um, I think it was because it was just further enough south in Los Angeles that it didn't get through the mountain range uh, on the other side of which I live. And, uh, yeah, I read that on, on the news, as you might have also. I'm like, oh, there was an earthquake? I didn't know. Or maybe I was asleep. One of the two, either way, I did not know it was happening. Well, I tell you, Michael, you've got uh, some serious storms that could be moving in tomorrow. They were talking about Washington State and Oregon have already been hit pretty hard by this storm. Yeah. Lots of water. So what are you hearing? Well, it's great. I mean, it's not so great for up north because, of course, there's you know the, the threat of mudslides and flooding, and that's quite dangerous. But down here in, in, in Southern California, we, of course, are in a drought emergency. So the idea, idea, idea that the remnants of a huge rainstorm is going to now come down to L.A. is actually great for us because we really need the rain down here. So, yes, it still brings with it a threat of flooding and, you know, some danger. But I think as a city, we will take that threat because we need the water so bad. So bad. And, of course, with all of the fires, you know, it's going to start, like you said, mudslides and so much more. So it's going to, you're going to have to be careful on certain highways, like, you know, uh, the ones that go through Malibu and places like that. So just be mm-hmm. careful because uh, you guys For have sure. lost a lot of trees and a lot of soil. So um, We have. Yeah. And, and, and to, to be fair, it is our cycle here in, in this part of town. Where, you know, it's, it's, it's fires and then he- heavy rain, usually in mudslides. Those things always happen here in, in Los Angeles. But, of course, as climate change has gotten worse and worse, all of the effects of these storms and these cycles have gotten worse. So now it's become, in the past you know, five, ten years, much more of, of a newsworthy item because it, it, it isn't just one small fire in Malibu or one small mudslide in Malibu. It's across the city. It's you know, massive record-breaking fires that are burning down whole neighborhoods, mudslides that are killing people. You know? So the, the, our, our normal cycles have become much more uh, dangerous to all of those living here. 
So is Governor Newsom uh, finally talking about not building as far up the mountains as we've been going in in Los Angeles? I mean, you can really, when we first uh, went out there to visit, Michael, the, the houses hadn't gone as far as they've gone now. They get higher and higher up the mountain, and I don't understand how that works. And then these fires hit, and it burns down a whole you know, a few miles of homes. It's crazy. So do you hear them talking about that at all, saying, hey, we're, gonna, we're not going to rebuild in some of these areas? Not in most of L.A. proper, but, but in, in some, some further out areas where it used to be, to your point, all empty, you know, when you and I were first here 15, 16 years ago, and now there's homes everywhere. Those areas that there has been talk in the past, especially after this past fire season, uh, people just saying, hey, maybe we just shouldn't rebuild these homes because they weren't there five years ago. And yes, we, we are, are in a, a, d- a deep need of having more housing here in, in Los Angeles, especially affordable housing, but that's not what's being built. It's these you know, mansions that are being built further and further out from Los Angeles proper in areas that used to be a field and now have you know, man-made hills and systems and homes. And when the fires start, you know, it's not just trees anymore. As you said, whole neighborhoods are getting burned down. So, yes, those conversations are definitely happening about the, the expansion of, of the city, uh, how and when we, we build new homes and how, how we balance that with our need for housing and, of course, right. the, the danger of building in certain areas. Yeah, it's quite remarkable. I keep watching it unfold and I keep saying to myself, why? I mean, you remember the fire that was on Highway 15 on the way to Vegas? Remember that? The fires that were going no, and they skipped over across the road. Oh, my gosh. That was a good, what, five to seven years ago. <clears throat> and it was so bad because it, literally the fire was jumping across the highway. And, as it does, you yeah. Know, yeah, as it does. We saw that on 101, I think it was. Was it 101? I um, think it. I think one year you were here with the Prairie Home and you were staying at a hotel and you could see a fire slowly coming over the hill in Burbank towards right. the side of the hill where you were. And you were like, that's really right. close. I was like, ah, you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what Los Angeles does to you, man. People just go, don't worry about it. It's so beautiful. Look over to your right. Don't look to yeah, your left. It's gorgeous. There's a Hollywood sign. Yes, there's a giant smoke cloud and it's raining ash. But, yo, you're fine. And I told you that I, I heard the, on this um, the show, I can't remember what TV show it was, but they were talking about the Hollywood sign because no matter how many people try to deface it, uh, you know, try to burn it, get rid of it, they have lots more sitting in some warehouse <laughs> they just put up a really? brand new one yeah they put up I a new know. one uh, yeah i saw that on a show and um i, I thought to myself well that's smart because you know how many people want to climb that that sign and just say hey i sat at the top of the hollywood I mean, sign i've never climbed climbed the sign i mean cause, i mean going up there is illegal but definitely in my first year i hiked up there back when you could still hike up there before they closed all the gates but hiking right. up to the sign and being right there next to it is just an un- unbelievable experience. That thing is massive. It's huge. I mean, yeah, it's we've all seen huge. it in pictures, but when you're standing in front of it, it is huge. So it's, it's kind of, it, 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 I think when you move to LA from some, somewhere else, it's kind of kind of like a rite of passage to go up there and just realize the scale of that thing because it's, it's like it's like a giant metaphor for Hollywood dreams. You know, they're outsized and and unrealistic, and but you're still there touching it, seeing it because you're in Hollywood. I don't need a metaphor. I can look at it from a distance. We're good. (laughs) We're good, dude. We're good. Okay, Michael, you know it's time to talk movies. Um, There's so much change going on in the movie theaters, uh, even on television shows like Netflix and, you know, the streaming services. It's just a constant stream of new stuff, it seems like to me. Do you agree? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's no way to watch all the TV and movies that are coming out on all the, all the various streaming services between Netflix, HBO Max, of course, Disney Plus. We all know I'm a fan of the House of the Mouse. Um, and then, of course, there's <laughs> Apple TV Plus. Uh, there's all, all the other um, AVODs. You know, there, there's there's Pluto TV. And there, there's just a litany of, of ways that you can consume content uh, without, without, without ever having cable at home. Is Roku a streaming service? It is, yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. So there's so many of them. How many are there? There's tons of them. And with, of course, all of these services comes all of their prestige content that they're making to try to get you to pay money to watch those shows. Uh, and there's just too many shows. Like, you know, I, during the Emmys, everyone was talking about Ted Lasso. All of my friends have said how amazing Ted Lasso is and how uplifting it can be. I haven't seen a single episode of Ted Lasso yet. Not because I don't <laughs> want to watch it, not because it's not good. I just haven't had the time to finish the shows I already have earmarked on Netflix and Disney Plus uh, to actually go over there and check it out. So do you think your generation will ever go back to television, just plain old-fashioned cable, you know? No, but but what we're doing now with all of these services is ostensibly going to turn into the same thing as cable, especially in, ter- in terms of the price of it all, where you'll get to a point where, you know, you'll have – five, six services at once, and you're paying for each of those per month, and it's going to be the same thing as paying for cable. The difference will be it'll be more accessible, more, more diverse in terms of uh, content and also the people on the said content. It will be um, easier to, to navigate and pick what you want, and there will be you know a thousand times more content than cable was ever able to provide. So, but always, no commercials. I'm no looking commercials. for commercials, man. No commercials, but we're, we're paying them to watch these shows. So, yeah, I mean, that's sad for all the actors and all, all the people who are working uh, in the production of commercials. But, no, I mean, it, it has been long written way before I'm saying it here that cable will die. It, it will go away eventually. That whole model is already collapsing. Uh, and all the content creators are already shifting that their business models to uh, AVODs and SVODs. Uh, ad, ad base, uh, ad base video on demand and streaming video on demand. Um, so it's it's happening in real time. And yes, there still are a ton of people who have cable um, and who you know like the, their shows that way and who still you know watch the news. But you can watch the news without cable now. You know, I, I still have the news and all those basic channels here in LA, but it's through a, a streaming service through through, through the internet. Um, so just that idea of having everything through a cable a cable provider who can gouge you on prices, that is, that's not nearly as, as strong as it used to be. Well, because I am in the union, you know, I want commercials. <laughs> just, I want people working. I want them working. And they've got some really great commercials out right now that will make you stop in your tracks and laugh out loud. I love it, right? Super Bowl doesn't do that for me, but man, these commercials I've been seeing in the last six weeks to eight weeks has been hilarious. And I think to myself, my children never get to see it. They're streaming everything. I mean, you guys well, skip all of the commercials, right? Well, but but so no, if it's an SVOD, uh, then yes, you're paying money to just stream content when you want it. But if it's an AVOD, if it's an ad-supported service, then there will be ads in your content. So if you're watching Pluto TV, Roku in some cases, uh, Hulu in some cases, you know, there's cheaper versions of many of these services that do have ads. 
I think there's talk of, a, of an ad-based version of HBO Max coming out that might be cheaper. So if you don't want to pay the premium price, you will still have commercials uh, in your content. So commercials won't go away. They just won't be delivered to, to people in the way that they are now via cable TV. It's just you know regular folks that can get a, a spot on a commercial and just – you know, all of a sudden it changes their life. You know, you can pay for your children's college if your child can act and do some commercials. You know what I mean? Or if you can do some, the parents can do the commercials and just save the money up. I mean, it's just, it's a good thing. And I, you know, I know people get really tired of that whole idea of selling merchandise uh, and selling uh, stuff all the time. You know, it's like, we need to get rid of that. And maybe we will, but I miss it. I miss it. And so that's why I have cable well, wait a minute. Do you miss the commercials or do you miss the paychecks from the commercials? Because I miss the latter. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I, miss the I do, the but some of these commercials bring you joy. I mean, one day, Mom and I were sitting down watching cable television, and this commercial comes on, and we both break out in so much laughter, we're almost crying. I mean, just hilarious. Those are the moments I treasure. You know, some commercial, a lot of commercials are just lame. But when it's those commercials that get to you and make you laugh, that bring you joy instantly for a nanosecond, it is so worth it. I I totally agree. It's just I don't want to have to be forced to watch that commercial to watch what I want to watch, uh, especially in these times when we're all so busy. Uh, we just I, if I want to watch, you know, a TV show on Netflix, I want to turn it on and watch it. So the, 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 the future is not that we won't have commercials. We definitely will have commercials again on, on ad based services. You'll definitely see commercials. But the, uh, the the challenge now is finding new ways to get those same commercials to people who are streaming because we're still out there. We still have to buy product and, and where are they going to you? But let's not forget what you're talking about is a traditional 30 second or, or, or one minute long spot on cable TV, right? It plays right. in between segments of a TV show that was written expressly to have commercials. But there's right. a whole other sector of commercials that are happening on social media, on on TikTok, on Instagram, on Facebook. They are riddled with ads, blasting at us left and right. I mean, I can't go on Instagram without seeing ads. Those are forced upon me. I cannot go through my feed without seeing ads. All the kids on TikTok are seeing ads constantly, and, and, and they're far more insidious, as, as we've all heard, because these ads are, are uh, uh, targeted to you specifically, that, that, that they're using the data that you've given that app to figure out what you might want and send it to you directly and the color, and the color you might want and the size. If you were searching for shoes, those shoes are going to show up. And then, of course, as you see, every other website you go to will then have that same shoe you saw on that one page all the way through. So the same companies who make those commercials you love are aggressively targeting us in other ways because they know that so, so many of us are now staring at our phones. I, the, it's all about the algorithms. The algorithms. Yeah. <laughs> it's the algorithms for sure. But, yeah. but might, I, might I chime in on this just briefly? Yes. Um, so I, I agree with Michael. Things evolve. You got to remember, we had the we have the standalone commercials now, but these things really started when television came along and and when radio was big back before telev the invention of television. They just basically put these product placements right in the shows. They would. Maybe say, now we'll hear from our sponsor. And then you hear, hear the same voice or some voice that's in the same studio talking about Wheaties or 
that flaked laundry soap that you want to use, you know, and it, it just evolved into, okay, we're going to put these commercials outside of the TV programming, outside of these actual shows, so there's a distinction, and now it's just going into another realm. Yeah, you know, and, and this course, is... Go ahead, Michael. I was just say, adding to that, uh, soap operas, of course, are called soap operas because they were invented by soap companies who made content for women who at that time were... Uh, more often at home, taking care of the home and the family, um, and who were the ones usually deciding what soap to buy. So they created content that that audience, they thought that audience would want to watch, and had all their commercials in between saying this, as, as it was just mentioned, brought to you by Ivory, or brought to you by this soap brand. That's why they are still to this day called soap operas. Wow, how about that? That's a great piece of of, uh, uh, of what do you call it, culture? <laughs> factoid, yeah, sure. Yeah, it's a factoid. That's pretty good. So, Michael, what about TV dinners? Because that started in the 60s, I think. Am I right, or was it the 50s? I'm not sure when those first, first came out. Are, are you just asking, are they still around? No, no, no. Oh, they have a whole new way of showing you food. I mean, it's just crazy. <laughs> you know, TV dinners used to come in some kind of aluminum stuff and uh, – you, it's covered up, you put it in the oven, it heats up, and then you peel back the aluminum top. It's pretty gross. All I know is the pictures on, on the box didn't look anything like the box I opened. <laughs> so wait, you recently <laughs> bought one of these? No, no, no. I'm just saying that I tried a TV dinner in college, my first mm. iteration in college. And let me tell you, it was gross. Well, there were no I mean, microwaves to use, you know. There, it was like you had to go to the dorm kitchen or whatever it was and, you know, find a way to heat it up. And it was just wrong. It never tasted like chicken. It never looked like beans. And rice was suspect <laughs> every you, time. I am telling you. Everything tastes like chicken. It no, like chicken. No, man. This never, it was always chicken, chicken, but it never chicken tastes like chicken. chicken. Never tasted like chicken. By the way, and the rice, you couldn't tell if it was rice. It was something, but it wasn't that's rice. Pretty bad. That's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. if you can't tell the rice is rice. That's pretty bad. I know we got to take a break, don't what? we? No, we can, we can go a little bit longer. I, I did want to uh, chime in about the invention of the TV dinner. So this is, yes. from, this is from the Library of Congress website. Oh, excellent. So this was, I guess, started in the mid-1940s as oh, 40s. a frozen dinner package that they were sending out to restaurants. and I'm sorry, uh, I, I saw it here. It was bars. They were sending it out to bars and taverns. Yeah, when you're drunk, you'll eat anything, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so so they didn't, they didn't fare very well. And then here's the next... Paragraph, in 1949, Albert and Mayor Bernstein organized Frozen Dinners, Inc., which packaged frozen dinners on aluminum trays with three compartments. They sold them under the One-Eyed Eskimo label and only to markets in the Pittsburgh area. By 1950, the company had produced 400,000 frozen dinners. Demand continued to grow, and in 1952, the Bernstein brothers formed the Quaker State Food Corporation. They expanded distribution to markets east of the Mississippi, by 1954, Quaker State Foods had produced and sold over 2,500,000 frozen dinners. That's what's wrong wow. with us. You want to know why our hips are exploding. You know, it's <laughs> the bottom line is the TV dinner was awful, and now we eat TV dinners all the time every time we go to a fast food restaurant. That's exactly what it is without the aluminum. 
you know? No, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I think it, it, if there was a modern TV dinner, it would be Postmates or Grubhub because no longer it, does the food have to be, you know, in a drive-thru or frozen in the grocery store. You just hit some button on your phone and, like magic, a person drops off a bag at your front door. with Yeah, hot two, hours later, two hours later. Two hours later. I'm no, talking about when it, you need to feed your babies because they're throwing things in the car. And 20 minutes. 15, 20 minutes. I kid you not. I, I can get most of my favorite foods between 20 minutes and an hour from when I order it. I, I can order it before I leave work on the way home, or, you know, wherever I am, and know that it'll be there when I'm there. It is, it is a wonderful service. So I think that is, is the new version of the TV dinner, except it's hot, freshly made at your favorite restaurant. Gerilyn, by the way, what you're describing when you're talking about getting your kids to quiet up, uh, that's called a Lunchable. That's a Lunchable. <laughs> you, yeah. you got some nerve. I just don't. I got, let me just put my hand over my mouth. So anyway, I don't understand. Come on, you guys. You know that a lot of families go to fast food for dinner during the week well, they, because they've they run out make, of time. They still make the TV dinners. You can still get them in your frozen Shh, Don't section. tell anybody yeah. that. No. You don't can. tell anybody. And you're frozen. Oh, my you God. Can. In any in any Cub Foods, any, any Cub Target, foods? yeah, any Target, any Walmart. Does it say Weight Watchers on it or something? Some are Weight Watchers. They have the Hungry Man. They're still around. They've they've got a few of them. Hungry Man. Oh my God! It was a piece of meat that was so as big as your head. Then you had a little bit of something we thought was rice, and you know. I remember those. She's really on the rice part, though. I mean, she yeah, really is concerned about yeah. the rice for the people. I am really concerned about the rice. Rice is good. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. You're not going to I'm going to start the Church song, of Rice. Huh? You aren't going to play the Soul Food song, are you? No. We're not okay, talking about okay. rice. We, I'm talking the is, hungry. What was it called? The hungry man or this something? This usually hungry how man. it happens, though. You get me talking about food, and I'll go off in some tangent. I won't do it. I promise you. I won't do it. I promise you. Okay. I promise All you. Right. But I want to know, the, the, was it called Hungry Man? Yes, Hungry Man was one of the is yeah. one of the uh, the companies that makes. Yeah. Still makes them. That's the one that had the pork chop large as your head. It was just huge. I mean, seriously, you just kind of lean by and like, yeah, that's about the size of my head. You could share it with three people. It was a lot of food that wasn't. I mean, really it, food. it's called Hungry Man. I think that was the point. Yeah, but I, I was a, I'm a woman. But but so. it, it wasn't packaged as person on like man on a diet. It said Hungry Man. It was, you know, <laughs> calories were not an issue for said Hungry Man. He wanted a huge piece of meat. There you go. Okay, we really do have to take a break. <laughs> On and that we'll note, listening yeah. audience. <laughs> yes, we'll be back in a moment. <laughs> Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. 
from the launcher online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Mom and Michael Hour. It is my favorite every Sunday night, uh, featuring my son, Michael Battle, all the way from Los Angeles. And Jonathan Lois, the other voice that you hear, our in-studio mm-hmm. producer. So I want to talk movies now, Michael. It is time. Of course, you had a chance to go see the new Dune movie. I remember the one from 1984. I just loved it. It was kind of weird and creepy, but great. Uh, and I stay away from weird and creepy now. So this is one of the only ones that has that weird floating guy. Remember the Florida guy? <laughs> the Baron, yes. <laughs> the Baron who looks like a bug. You know, it's just unbelievable. Yes. Anyway, um, The New Dune. Tell me about it. So The New Dune is out, as you just mentioned. I think, what was it, last week? You and I talked quite a bit about the old Dune and how much I loved that film as a child and how Joey hadn't seen it. So I, I sat down and made sure that he watched that whole film before we went and saw the new one. And the original Dune uh, uh, in 84 is not known to be a, you know, a good film, technically, in terms of the script, the directing. It's, it is, it's poorly reviewed, but it's, it's a cult favorite in that people just, you know, so uh, it was the first attempt at making a really uh, an adaptation of a very complicated book. Again, I haven't read the book, so my introduction to Dune was that original movie. And it came out right around when Star Wars uh, had already gotten really popular. So, of course, people were looking for more of that sort of space odyssey fantasy content. So it has held up over time as not great as it is, because it is beloved, as you mentioned. And now the new one, that, you know, a uh, highly anticipated, it's actually the film that I was most excited about seeing this year, uh, is finally out. And of course, HBO Max has, has been releasing all their films uh, this well, since the pandemic started. Um, and since the launch, launch of HBO Max, both in theaters and on HBO Max. And that's on HBO Max without an additional premium fee. So it's been kind of a, their experiment to see how it's going to affect their opening box office. So they had Godzilla vs. King Kong. Um, they had a, a few other films come out both at the same time. And so their opening numbers have been, you know, 30-ish or below, uh, which is not bad for a pandemic opening. But, of course, no one knows how much the HBO Max 
uh, simultaneous streaming affected that. So numbers right. first Dune opened to over $40 million this weekend, which wow, that's good. is really great across the board. Now, it, it, it isn't Black Widow. It isn't Shang-Chi. It isn't, you know, 80, 90 million for the weekend. Um, but those are Marvel films, and this is a, a, a heady two and uh, two and a half hour long sci-fi epic. So you never know how that's going to do. But forty million is really strong for a film like this. Um, the Rotten Tomato scores from critics are great. The Rotten Tomato scores from the audience are great. And uh, I'm here to tell you, uh, y- y- if you're going to go see this movie, if you're a fan of Dune, if you like sci-fi films. You must go see this in theaters on the biggest screen you can possibly find. It would be an insult to the magnitude and magnificence of this movie to watch it at home on HBO Max. You can do it, yes, even if you have a huge TV, fine. But if you can, go to a theater with big speakers and a big screen because this movie is awesome. It is Already one of my favorite movies of all time. Now, that's a big statement for me. But right. <laughs> so, so the caveats here are obviously I'm a fan of the first film. That's why I started off saying that. Right. So part of my, my, my visceral emotional reaction to this movie was twofold. A, the nostalgia of seeing imagery that you know was like what I saw as a kid. And then, since I was so young when I saw the first film. And B that it's the kind of film I would have wanted to make in film school. It has the same sort of imagery and grandeur, uh, majesty of the kind of content that I wanted to make and write. So it hit two really strong emotional chords with me. So I'm very aware that is coloring my opinion of the film itself because, yes, as other people have noted, it is slow. It does take time to get into the story. Uh, It is part one of two so, you know, the first film, you have the whole story all the way through to the end in one short film, which was kind of the problem. Because it was too short. Much, yeah, it was too much shoved into one film. This is part one. Of, so just the first book is being split into two parts. And again, it's two and a half hours of only half the story. So you, you are going to get that big, satisfying ending that you did in the first one in this film because it's building up to the second half of the story. Uh, so it can be a little you know, paste. Uh, they want you to kind of ease into the world. There's a lot of jargon, things to learn. But again, if you're here for it, if you know the first film, you won't struggle with all of that. Uh, and they made some really cool changes from the first film uh, to, to, this, to this new one that I think conceptually are a great upgrade. I'm not sure if the changes are closer to the source material or further away, but it makes it make more sense for this day and age. Um, and did you ever see Arrival? The alien film, Forrest Whitaker, Amy Adams? No, no. No, it wasn't It was Jessica Chastain, I believe. Um, no, it was so Amy Adams. It was? Okay. It I was Amy Adams, it. yes. Forrest Whitaker was terrible in that movie. Um, so you used to work movie, for him, dude. Come uh, on. Yeah, yep, I did. I did indeed. Uh, and he was terrible in that movie, and you couldn't hear a word he was saying. But the tone, the scale, the alien ships in that movie, the, the, the sound effects, the soundtracks, the score of that film were, were jaw-dropping. In fact, I think it won um, an Oscar uh, for, for the sounds made just for the alien ships in that film. So the same director here with Dune and the same sort of just jaw-dropping score 
sound effects. I mean, the soundscape of this film alone is worth seeing. So if you can't tell, I loved it. <laughs> Just <laughs> I, I, I might see it again this week. I saw it in a huge theater, uh, but I might go see it in IMAX to go even bigger and go see it again. I, I think I may just keep seeing it in theaters and then maybe watch it at home on HBO Max again. So it's a must. I have film. to go I, see it because you know I love that movie. I have yeah, to go see it. Jonathan, it are you going to go to the theater and see it? To see Dune? Yeah, the um, new one. Probably not. What? What? Okay, continue, Michael. <laughs> My is, goodness! Come on, Jonathan! Come on, man! I've, no, I've never been into Doom. I've never. I'm t- I'm, Have you, you ever know, watched you, one of them? No, I haven't. Um, you know me; I'm horrible at seeing movies overall, and so I might have seen it at one point in time when I was really young, but I haven't seen it to remember seeing it. So okay. I, I really, really appreciated what that movie was all about. I really did. Hey, by the way, is the Baron in the new one? Oh, is the Baron in the new one? Really? <laughs> he is in the new one. And, you know, he's not like he was in the first one. I, I feel like they're building up oh, to that, thank like, God. Extra, extra, the extra grotesque version of him. He's not quite that grotesque, but he's much more terrifying. He really? is. He still floats. He's still big. He's still, you know, vile in the way that he's not a good person, but he is just so much more intimidating and calculating. And, I mean, he is a true villain in this movie. I mean, when he floats around, it's terrifying. And, uh, again, the scale of the movie and how it's shown. And I say it's uh, the visuals are awe-inspiring and it's jaw-dropping, and it is, but it is still very stark. I mean, kind of like with Arrival and the alien ships – it's a lot of stone and scale, you know, and height. Um, and, and this director really knows how to use space to impose upon you and make you feel either the grandeur, the fear, or the inspiration of what you're seeing. Um, so if something explodes, if someone, you know, uh, is going to be high above you, you're really going to feel the scale of that character in front of you. Um, so, yeah, I, I loved it. And, you know, it has been years since I have seen a movie in theaters. And the second it ended, I wanted the sequel. I mean, I felt that with um, uh, Lord of the Rings, all three of those. I felt that with The mm-hmm. Matrix. I felt that with Kill Bill Volume 1, um, you know, Star Wars Episode 1, 2, and 3 even, because I'm a huge Star Wars fan, where as soon as it ends, you're like, oh, I want the next one. It has been years since I've had that. And literally, I could feel them wrapping up the movie. And I was like, oh, God, it's ending. Don't end. Don't end. It ended. And I was like, no. <laughs> I wanted the second one. <laughs> Right away. So, uh, yeah, this is a a incredible entry into the sci-fi ethos of film. I just loved it. Wow! And then I have to ask: Do they do they get through the deserts um, with those body? You know, where you urinate and then it circulates through and cleanses itself. The body suits itself. are in the, the movie. The body yes, suits, are, they are. Okay. I mean, those, those are in the movie. The worms are in the movie. So I won't. The tell witches you how- are the witches, not the witches, but the what were they called? Danny Jezret, yes. Yes, so all thank the you. Characters you're used to from the from the movie, the first film. Again, I have yeah. that book. Uh, they're they're in there, but it is just elevated to a whole new level of intensity. And the lead actor, Timothy Chalamet, Timothy Chalamet, I think it's pronounced. Mm-hmm. He is fantastic. I mean, I've seen him in other films that I kind of like. This he's we, we know he's a great actor. Does he play he the delivers, king? 
Uh, no, he, he plays the uh, Paul Atreides, the, 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 the protagonist. Oh, Paul Atreides. Yes, yes, yes. Go ahead. He's really, really strong in this film. And again, the, the lead character is supposed to be very slight and boyish, and he leans into that quite a bit. Um, so I could go on for another 30 minutes about this movie. I don't want to give anything away, but if you're a sci-fi fan, if you are a, a fan of Dune, if you have any appreciation for the first one, uh, this is a must-see film. And again, if you are able to, if you are comfortable doing so, go see it in theaters with the best visual quality and best sound you can find. Impressive, Michael. That was an impressive review. That is for sure. Okay, before we have to take a break, tell us about Squid Game. Squid Game is like the biggest foreign show on Netflix ever. I am late to the game, excuse the pun. Everyone else has been watching it since it came out, I think, I don't know, four weeks ago. And I think I mentioned to you, you know, Joey likes Halloween and scary stuff, and he really wants to watch it because we heard it's kind of gory. Um, and I, I didn't want to watch it, but I said, you know what, let's finally watch it. Okay, uh, let, let's check it out. It, it, it's originally in Korean. We watched it with subtitles. And I'm here to oh, say... Cool. It isn't nearly as gory as I, as I thought it was going to be. It really is just a, a complicated, wonderfully crafted Korean drama. Yes, there is some violence. I mean, it is uh, the, the concept has violence at its core, but that's not the the overarching theme of what's happening. It really is about class and 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 how, how we interact with each other as humans in society uh, and classism. And it is just really well done, well acted. I, I would suggest watching it with the original audio and with the subtitles. I've heard the dub on this is also pretty good if you do want to watch it dubbed in English. So, yeah, if you're considering it, not sure if it's too gory, check it out. Great characters, great show. We just finished it uh, and definitely worth uh, your time. Well, I thought, I thought it was SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> Stop it. Hey, you know, you say squid, I say Spongebob. Squidward was a character on Spongebob, yes, and I can see how Squid Game might sound juvenile enough to be a Spongebob show, but it is not. It is a very adult Korean drama about a bunch of people uh, down on their luck in the lowest ways who get invited to a secret game and a secret location where they risk their lives playing childhood games for the chance at an, an enormous amount of money, which, of course, they all want to use for various reasons and how that all plays out. So check it out. It's definitely worth it. All right. We're going to have to take a break, our last break for the night, and we'll be back with Michael Battle in just a moment. It is now 1052 here at WCCO. Welcome back. As we wrap up this hour, the Mom and Michael Hour. Michael, I have to tell you, man, I've been, you know, looking at pictures of the Baron. Oh. Creepy. I yeah. should never have looked at that before I go to bed. I'll be watching Wait, House old? Hunters oh, no, all one. night. The, the, the new one. The new yeah. one. Oh, he's man. Terrifying. And again, like, yeah. he's not nearly as grotesque, doesn't have all the issues with his face and the plugs all over his body. None of that. They know, you know, it's just his, the, the gravity of his character, the way he moves around his voice. He is terrifying. Yeah, yeah, I could tell that. That's for sure. So, on a mm-hmm. on a on a lighter note, um, do you see the numbers in Los Angeles going down for COVID? Because I just read that Ed Sheeran, the great singer, I love that redhead. I think he's just uh, really good at it. Uh, he has tested positive for COVID nineteen, and so I know in California, particularly Hollywood, they are very strict about who has what. But what about in the music industries for concerts and that sort of thing? 
Do you hear anything you know, about uh, that? Right. So, so I, I think the protocols are mostly the same. You know, if you're on tour as he was, you're getting tested on the regular, which is, I'm assuming, how he figured out he had it, unless he had symptoms. Um, but it's tough because you're in these stadiums full of people, and the rules are beginning to loosen up here. So, you know, we're going out to clubs and restaurants and concerts, and most people. I mean, we're in an area where a significant portion of Los Angeles has has the vaccine, but there are still breakthrough cases. So, the good news, and to your question, is. Yes, the numbers in Los Angeles and across the country are thankfully finally starting to go down. So uh, I think here we can all start to feel this collective ease of like, okay, we're still wearing our masks indoors. We aren't fully there yet. No one wants a breakthrough case. The booster shots are now out. But we can see the light at the end of the tunnel, which, you know, maybe by the holidays, we might not have to wear a mask indoors. That has not been announced. No one has said that. But I know I've had that conversation with my peers about, you know, we know it's coming soon. They're going to change the rules and we won't have to wear them indoors. So hopefully his case won't have any symptoms. I, I think I've read that he's doing the, the rest of the shows virtually, which, of course, is not nearly as satisfying for the people uh, who are there seeing him. But it's a safety precaution, you know, to just catch it early. And if it's a film shoot, they'll stop production if it's a major star or they'll try to re- redo the schedule to work around yeah. it but if it's a concert what do you do yeah well i tell you it's um i, I you still think about it it's, it's amazing how many ball players and other people just won't get the vaccine and so i keep saying to myself do the numbers creep up and then creep back down i mean how's it going you just don't know but i trust that the majority of the people are doing the right thing and if they're not i'm always prepared with mask and so much more hey michael bts remember that group yes Right, from Korea, from South Korea. Um, so was it South Korea or was it Japan? It uh, wasn't it, China. But there, there are K-pop groups, yeah, they're from South Korea. and of Korea, course they're, that's they're one of the biggest pop groups in general in the world at their height of fame. One of the most famous, some, some of the most views ever on YouTube. And whenever I hear their name, I think of behind the scenes. So that's my story. Yeah, and not only that, they're worth like a billion dollars. They've made like a billion dollars. No other band yes. has done that um, as quickly as they have. So that's quite mm-hmm. remarkable. They are still around. And there's some new music coming out by them. Um, and I've been trying to read about it to see when it's coming back. I'm not quite sure yet. But I, you know, your your cousin, Jasmine, Javita's daughter, turned me on to Korean pop. And I just fell mm-hmm. in love with it. And if I had to stop listening to it. <laughs> <laughs> I am not 23. You know, I'm it's, out there trying to I mean, get my groove on. Mm-mm, no. It, it, it's, for, it's for everybody. I mean, Korean pop and Korean dramas, Korean films, these are all exports from their country. So, I mean, you can look at it not just as, as a pop craze or, or a fad. No, it's the same thing as eating sushi. It's a primary export from a different major country in the world <clears throat> that has been around for a very long time and, and still is wildly popular. We as Americans are just slow. You know, we're just now getting hip to this thing that has been around for a very, very long time. Okay, okay. Michael, you know I love you. It's been so great having you on and just catching up with you. It means so much to me. It's a great way to start my week. So thank you, honey. I love you. 
baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Thank you.